We have been studying Joseph now for eight sessions, eight weeks. It's not been eight weeks in a row, but for eight weeks. And I know that for, uh, for many of you, you are seeing Joseph in a different way, in a different light. For as much as maybe in our past, we have sped right through the story. Uh, when we have slowed down and taken time to ask some different questions and look at things in some different ways, it has challenged us. So we are in the middle at this point of the story of an elaborate plot by Joseph that seems to be going nowhere. And we have to ask ourselves at this point, as he's now neck deep with his brothers, what is his end game in this whole thing? I mean, he accused them of being spies. He jailed his brother Simeon and sent them back to get Benjamin. He put all the silver back in their bags so when they got home, they would think that they had accidentally not given it somehow or that there was a mistake. And now Egypt would think that they had stolen this money. When they came back, he set, it, he set it up to make it look like Benjamin had stolen from him and he was going to keep Benjamin and send his brothers back home. And Judah stand up, stood up and made an impassioned speech to Joseph. And he basically tells Joseph, if you keep Benjamin here with you and we go home without him, our father's going to die. Without question, that will be the end of his life. It's kind of a mess, isn't it? I mean, it, it really is. And last time we were together and we talked through all those things, we talked about the will of God and our own will. And, and we talked about how those things are not always the same, our will and God's will. And how sometimes, even though God is writing the long story, we take over and write some different chapters of our own. Some, some different, you know, turns or twists or whatever it may be. But one of the important things that we noted, and I want to just remind you of this very quickly, is that every biblical hero about whom we read has a moment or several moments where they do that same thing. They take control and they write their own verses or chapters. Adam and Eve, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, the prophets, everyone, everyone has moments where they move away from what we as the readers see as God's will for them. Now, we're not being totally fair when we recognize that because they're living it and we're reading about it. And so sometimes we don't take into account that perhaps they don't know how their story ends. That, that they don't know where this is going to go or how God is going to resolve this or how they are going to get past this enemy that seems so big that there is no way around. So they get off course. They act in their own interest. People get hurt, and some of them fail spectacularly. 
And it reminds us of something, and that is that all of these people we read uh, about in the Bible, they are all human. They are all people. And because they're all people, they are going to have lots of thoughts and emotions and feelings and confusion and anger and fear just like we have in our own lives. But there's still a question out there that we need to address a little bit more today. And that is, okay, if we can accept that, that God's will is, is something, and our will is, is sometimes something different, and, and, and that they're going to part at times, and they come back like, how does that work? Practically, how do, how do God's will and our will work together in the real world? Because after all, aren't biblical heroes supposed to follow God all the time? I mean, isn't that what makes them a biblical hero? Well, we get some answers this week in the story of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 45. And we're going to start in verses 1 through 14. So, let me remind you, they've gone through all these things. The brothers have come back. The cup has been planted in Joseph's bag. Uh, it is discovered. Um, Joseph is telling them that Benjamin is going to have to stay, that, that they can't take him back. Judas just said, well, if we go back without him, our dad is going to die. And we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. 
Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Okay, now we kind of like this part of the story because at this part of the story, Joseph explains what's been happening the whole time, right? He gives some perspective that though we may not have realized it, we haven't had through pretty much the entire story. I mean, we've known that God has been with Joseph, and we know that God has been successful. But at no point in this story has, have these kinds of words been spoken out loud. That it is God who has made this happen, that all of this has happened for a reason. Now, here's something that might surprise you. This passage that we just read is at the center of the Joseph narrative. It's about halfway through. This is usually where we end the story of Joseph, right? This is the conclusion to the story. Let's imagine for a moment that we are one of Joseph's brothers. And you are standing in front of this clearly unhinged man who has been nothing but a nightmare. For you the moment that you met him. He has irrationally accused you of things that could not be and made the whole process of feeding your family in the middle of a famine even worse than it could have been on its own. And on top of that, there is nothing that can be done about it. Because he's essentially the most powerful man on the planet at this time. So remember how this section starts. It starts out by Joseph yelling, leave me alone with them. And they're like, oh, man, (laughs) no, please don't. Please come back. Please stay in the room. Don't, Don't leave us alone. And then he weeps so loudly, so loudly, that people outside the room hear it, and they immediately tell whom? Pharaoh, because they're worried that something awful is going on in this room. Joseph is beside himself. And he's making a scene. Let's just be honest. He's making a scene. And this powerful, overly emotional creature just blurts out that he is their long-lost brother, who they were first going to kill and then sell into slavery. So, if you were one of the brothers, what would you do with this information? There's a couple of phases that we can imagine they went through. Uh, The first one would be disbelief. No way, this cannot be. But wait, how would he even know who Joseph is? And then the next one, the next feeling had to be, and the Bible tells us so, abject fear. They are terrified. It is not, in the brother's mind, the best thing for them if this really is Joseph. For all the reasons that we talked about above. And I imagine Judah saying, 
Oh, no. <laughs> but Joseph next does something important. He doesn't just tell them, I am Joseph, and then stop speaking. He gives a speech the rest of this time. And, and what he does is he brings the story back around to God and in sort of an indirect way, the dreams that he had at the beginning of his story. And in this moment, he puts a fresh context on all that has happened, not just for the brothers, but for us as well. And in perhaps one of the greatest biblical understatements of all time, he says, don't beat yourselves up or be angry. God sent me ahead of you so that I could save lives. We are two years into this famine. We have five years left. This is not over. God sent me ahead so that I could save lives. And in an interesting term that he uses here, so that I can preserve a remnant for you. Now, this has to be good news to the brothers. I mean, they had to be in agreeing, you know what, Joseph, you're right. We didn't do this, God did. <laughs> it's God who, who did this. Now, Joseph tells them to go and get their father and bring their families back and basically promises them that he will take care of everything. Just, just go get him. Bring the household back, and we will take care of, any, of everything here on our end, and our family will survive. That's what he means when he says he's going to preserve a remnant, that he will make sure that his family, his people, exist into the future. Now, something we have to realize about this. We don't know when Joseph understood that everything that was happening to him was happening in this bigger context. So it's easy on a surface reading, because again, we speed through this thing, to think that Joseph knew this the whole time. That he understood this from point A all the way through the end. And perhaps Joseph has kept this all to himself up to now, but more likely, Joseph didn't know either. We have not had a hint before now that Joseph had any notion of being a part of this grand purpose. All he has said up to this point on his own is that God is real and that God is empowering him to do things like interpret dreams. In fact, from the time that he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh under the power of God, through all the events after this, this is the first time that God has even been mentioned in all of the workings and doings and happenings that we have seen. Through seven years of plenty, through two years a famine. So what do we know? We know that 
for sure that God was with him, and we know that Joseph was aware that God was with him. But we can't just assume that all of these words he said were things he carried around with him the whole time. In fact, he doesn't act like someone who has this perspective. The previous two chapters and everything he does to his brothers does not show to us that he had that perspective. This don't worry, it's okay, God has done all of this. And maybe we could argue, well, you know, Bryce, he was just playing with his food. That's possible. That's possible, certainly. But however he came to the conclusion, and whenever he came to the conclusion, the announcement was game-changing. And I want to suggest something to you. When do I think Joseph realized this? I think he realized this at the beginning of chapter 45, when he had a complete emotional breakdown. And he was crying so loudly that people were concerned for his safety. And I don't know if it was until that moment, I think it was that moment, that became the point where things fell into place for him. And instead of being the one who wonders what to do with his family, as we've seen in the previous two chapters, he becomes the man who knows, I get to save my family. It's a pretty mega shift for him. It's a big change in perspective, and the entire story shifts with this information. The brothers go from being on the outside to being on the inside of all that was happening. Not only will they get what they need, but they will have a new life provided by their long-lost brother. And understand this, not only will all of their physical needs be met, but they no longer have to carry the guilt and self-anger that they've been carrying around all this time for what they did to Joseph and how they ruined their family. It's gone in a moment. The father, Jacob, Israel, will be transformed by this news. His grief will be lifted. All of his children are alive. He gets to start over again and they will have a new home and all that they need for the family to survive their future is assured and as for joseph he suddenly understands that all that he has gone through in his life all the pain and all the struggle and all the worry is now behind him god has been faithful to him you see and God has brought him through all of this and put him in the place he is in in this moment to do something really big. To save lives, the, the, the world, the people around him, but more importantly, to ensure that his family lives on. The realization that God had been working this out pushes him past all that he had to be thinking and feeling about his family into an understanding of divine purpose. And he threw his arms around Benjamin, and the two of them wept together. Of course, he hugged Benjamin first. And then he kissed all of his brothers, and he wept over them. And here's something interesting. In this whole section of the story that we're going to get through today, Joseph weeps multiple times. 
Benjamin is the only one who the Bible says weeps with him. Pharaoh found out that Joseph's brothers were there, and everyone was pretty super stoked about it. So Pharaoh told the brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father to come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Whoa! You don't even have to bring your stuff. I mean, tap you know, pack a toothbrush for the way. But everything we have for you here is going to be better than whatever you bring with you. So just leave it all behind. This is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's one thing for Joseph to say, yeah, I'm going to take care of you. It's another thing for Pharaoh to back it out and then double down, back it up and double down on, on, on what he's offering to this family. So their carts were absolutely loaded as they traveled back to Canaan. And Benjamin, of course, got five times more than everybody else. And in a funny side note, as Joseph is sending them on their way with all of their new stuff, he tells them, uh, please don't fight on your way home. Now, it's an interesting side note for me because when is the last time he was really around his family? when he was 18, right? When he was, when he was in this age of, you know, 17, 18 years old, and, and he knew them as the kids that, you know, the brothers that picked on him and that fought with one another all the time. And for all he knows, they're still the same. So he tells them, don't fight on the way home. And so the brothers arrived home and told Jacob that Joseph was still alive, and Jacob didn't believe them. There's no way. You showed me the bloody coats. Here's what I wonder, because it doesn't tell us. Did they have to come clean at that point about what had happened? I, probably, Right? We don't know, Dad. <laughs> I mean, we didn't find a body. So he, he, they go back and, and, and they, they convince him that not only is Joseph alive, but he's the ruler of all Egypt. The father, Joseph said, of Pharaoh. And, and Jacob uh, was convinced and he decides to go and see his son. So on their way back to Egypt, they stop at a place called Beersheba. You may be familiar with Beersheba. We talked about it. It was in the Jacob story. It's in the Abraham story. Abraham planted a tree there in honor of the everlasting God. And this is why Jacob stopped in Beersheba to worship. It was the place where you do this thing. And for the first time since Jacob's story, we see someone engaging in an act of worship. And while Jacob was in Beersheba, God spoke to him in a vision from chapter 46, verses 2 through 4. 
And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Okay, some things we need to note. Number one, God has not spoken to Joseph like this that we know. Um, we know that, uh, again, Joseph understood that God was with him. He communicated through dreams. But this moment between Jacob and God is special. In, in, in theological terms, it's called a theophany. Think about epiphany with God on the front. Okay, that's what it is. It's a theophany. It's a moment where God reveals himself. And God does some important things here. He, it's a summons and, and an answer and an insurance, assurance. But the important thing is not just that God is there. It's the things that he said. And what does God say to Jacob that is so meaningful? Well, in these short verses, the story has changed again. Because the story is no longer about Joseph. The story is now about the people of God and the promises that God has made to them. All the promises that began back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham, they have not been forgotten by God. God still knows them, and he promises that he is going to carry them out. And furthermore, he gives Jacob permission to leave Canaan, the land of his fathers, and go to Egypt. Notice there in verse 4, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. You're not giving up this land you're going somewhere for a while but i god says i will bring you back i will fulfill these promises to you now it's clear to us as readers that god was truly behind all that happened god put joseph in place not just for the sake of the world but for the sake of israel and they are supposed to go to Egypt in this time of famine. And we can't forget either that who started the famine? God did. God said explicitly through the dreams that he was the one who was going to start the famine. So all through the chaos that has been the life of Joseph, God had a plan. And that plan was to fulfill his promises and show his faithfulness to his people. So even though we see this path that Joseph took to become the father of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daddy, if you will, it's not really about Joseph. It's really about God's people getting to a place where they can flourish and grow and become something more than a family. God shows his faithfulness. And we're going to talk more next week about specifically why God wanted them to go to Egypt. 
But the trip back was a triumphal procession. The number of people that went to Egypt were about 66 in all. Once Joseph and his family joined, there was about 70. Joseph rode out to meet them in Goshen and greeted his father, who promptly said, Now I am ready to die, for I have seen myself that you are still alive. And it was an emotional scene where Joseph wrapped his arms around his father, and Joseph wept for a long time. The family is back together in a new place, starting a new and very different life. Okay, so what does this tell us about the will of God and our own will? That's the question we still want to answer. So I'm going to ask for some volunteers. You don't have to do anything but stand in where I tell you to stand. Okay? So I'm pretty sure most of you can do this thing. All right? So uh, Janice, will you come up? You can just stand right here. Okay. Thank you, Janice. Don. Well, when I meant volunteers, I meant God has spoken to me about who's going to volunteer. Stand right here. Okay, so here's kind of how we understand us, represented by Janice, and God's will, which is some sort of point out in front of us, represented by Don. Here, it is a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. But remember, you just have to stand there. Don't start making proclamations or anything else like that. And don't, well, you can weep if you want. Um, so our understanding is that it, when we're here, what does it mean for us to follow the will of God? How do we get there? That it's some sort of straight line for us to get to this place. That's what it means to be in the will of God. This is what we tell ourselves. Okay? Susie, come here a second. Now what happens is, Janice is going to take the straight line to Don, but there's an obstacle in the way. You're an obstacle. There you go. So Janice gets to this point, and she now can't go directly to Don. Right? And this point could be anything. It could be anything. It could be something that someone else put in place. It could be something that happens in Janice's life that she can't deal with or cope with. It could be anything, any of these things. It could be something shiny, to be fair. So Janice gets to this point, and she can no longer go to the place where she understood God's will to be, at least not in this straight line. So Janice, when you get to this point, you have to walk. I'm sorry, I, I misrepresented you get to this point. Now, how are you going to get back to the will of God? You can't, and you can't just go around it. You can't just go around it. I mean, it's a big obstacle that we got right here. So you have to start walking a different direction, right? So let's say you start walking this way. Okay, now... Is she moving towards God's will as we understand it? No. So then what is our perception of what needs to happen? That Janice has to turn around and walk back to this straight line. 
That's wrong. And here's what is really wrong about this. This model makes God's will dependent upon whom? Us. God's will can only be accomplished if I get back on the right path. And if I don't get back on the right path, then I am not fulfilling God's will for me. But what if God over here, moves also? Now, does Janice have to come back to this point in order to get to God? No, she doesn't. Why? Because God has shifted with Janice. Now, notice something. His will is still over in this area. It's, it's not like it, it has gone, you know, to the moon or something like that, okay? But there is a new way for Janice to get there. And no matter what comes and stands in the way, God's will is not blocked. Do you understand that? It is not changed by someone standing in Janice's way or by Janice making a wrong decision or any of those things because, friends, God's will is not dependent upon us making the right decisions and choices all the time. And God doesn't expect that of us. He knows that that is an unrealistic expectation for us to make all of the right choices all the time in order for his will to happen. So what does God do instead? What does he do instead? He makes a way for us to come back to him. And sometimes, you know, just stay there, Don, we move, we move so far away from him that maybe we choose not to go back to his will. And I think that's especially true when we have identified that his will is this point over here and we still feel blocked. Like, I have to get back to that point to be who God wants me to be. But the truth is, even when we move far away, God is shifting with us. He's staying out there. He has a will. He has what he wants to happen, but he's shifting with us so that no matter where we are, there is a path back to God. No matter where we are, there is a path back to God. Listen, Joseph, when he comes up against the first obstacle, which is his brothers, is he prevented from ever finding the will of God? No. He moves this direction, and he's moving toward God. But then Potiphar's wife happens, and he's moved this direction. He's getting closer to this area over here, but he's not there yet. And further and further it goes until at this moment he realizes, wait, all of this happened so that I could save lives and save my family and do something more. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Now, I, I want us to, to understand one thing. It's not like God made the brothers 
sell. It's, it's not like God sat down and said, okay, let's have him be sold into slavery first. I don't know, some sort of planned seduction should be next. It's not like God did that. It's not like God compelled the brothers to sell him. He didn't compel Potiphar's wife to plan this seduction. He didn't, he didn't plan for, you know, the servant of Pharaoh to forget him for two years. That wasn't what God planned. And that's really good news. It doesn't seem like it, but it's really good news because it tells us, again, that God's will is not some sort of fixed, finite point in the future. It's not some sort of straight path that we follow. Wide is the road that leads to what? Destruction. Easy is the road, (laughs) what Jesus says, that leads there. And instead, we find that we're not trying to get to this finite point. Joseph wasn't trying to get from being the favorite son of Jacob to being the most powerful person in in the world. That wasn't the point. The point was that God's people have a new place to thrive. And everything that happened in Joseph's life, backwards, forwards, side, side, you know, whatever it is, all those things that happened pushed things further along because God worked through them. He took something that would have destroyed someone without God and he redeemed that moment. So therefore, when Joseph stands in front of his brothers, he can say, without hesitation that God did this. Now, he's not saying God sold me into slavery, seduced me. He's not saying that. He said God put me here. And whatever path it took to get me here, God still accomplished it in my life. And as soon as Joseph realizes that God accomplished it in his life, the whole story shifts back to away from Joseph to God's people. See? And even Joseph has this perspective. I will preserve a remnant. God says to Jacob in the desert, you can go. This is my next step for you in the line of you becoming my people. We need to not be so narrow-minded that we make God smaller than he is. And, and perhaps we need to reconsider some of the things we have decided is God's will for us as if it's this one thing out in front of us. And if I don't get that one thing, I'm outside of God's will. Perhaps we need to rethink that. Because What God wants to accomplish in you is bigger than you. It just is. And it is not dependent 
upon your next step. It's not. Well, Bryce, what if someone walks away? Again, if someone walks away, they walk away. God is always ready to receive them back. And if they walk out of this building and across the street, there's still a way for them to get back to God. God will make that way. That's good news. But the other good news is that God works with us to help us get back. He doesn't call us back to this one point. Because, you know, we're not, we're not the same person we were when we moved away from that point. We are someone different, and God walks with us, pulling us toward the grand thing that he wants for us. And what is that grand thing? That we know the love of God in Jesus. And that we share that love with other people. Friends, that's not a finite point. It's not. So this is good news for us. And perhaps even at this moment, as we're about to take communion, we realize that that's why we know Jesus after all. We know him because he is the way to get us, help us, move us into deeper relationship with God. That through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have a new life. And that we are always moving toward that place as God calls us again and again to be his people. So as we take this bread and we drink from this cup, may we know that God has made a way for us, that God has made a way for the world, and that God's purpose and will is to draw everyone closer to him.